0: Snap Production. From the inside, with Peter Rix. In this episode, Peter speaks with one of the legendary characters of Australian music, a man referred to by Dennis Handlon from Sony Music Australia as noisy, wild, cantankerous and the world's oldest teenager. Peter knows him as one of his oldest friends. From promoting dances and bands in Launceston, through to touring some of the world's biggest acts, such as Guns N' Roses, Robbie Williams, Elton John and more, his career has expanded over the decades, making him one of the absolute legends of the Australian music business. Peter Ricks' guest is the founder and executive chairman of touring and music company, Chug Entertainment. Here is his conversation with Michael Chug.
1: Welcome, dear Michael.
2: Hello, Mr. Ricks. How are you, mate?
1: I'm I'm okay. I'm a little daunted in trying to cover your journey of life in a reasonably short period of time. So we're going to, if you're okay, we're going to take it a little sort of one step at a time here. Tell us all about Launceston first, and
2: Mum and Dad, and push bikes and music. Oh, Launceston was a good place to grow up. You know, I was a I was a, a mistake. I was a war baby, basically. I was born in nineteen forty-seven. Were you the first of them? First yeah, first? I was the first of the Chug dynasty. dynasty. Well, I wouldn't go that far, but. Um, Yeah, my old man used to remind me every so often when I'd fucked up that I was the biggest mistake of his life. (laughs) Was that later on or during your childhood? Oh, all the time. (laughs) He was the local fire chief for Christ's sake. Well, he became the local fire chief. He was basically uh, the son of a council worker, Cyril Chug, who uh, um, for the early part of my life um, was running the the reserve at the First Basin and the, the parklands around the gorge and the Esk River. Oh, right. Um, and I grew up, mum and dad were living in the house there and uh, as part of his job they had a, a a sweet shop in the for all the people who went swimming in the two swimming pools down on the, on oh, the really? basin yeah. and uh, I grew up there and a lot of my early life was chasing peacocks and Snakes and all that around the the Gorge Gardens. So, it was a w- so, wonderful place. When did you find music then? Oh, uh, music was... Dad had come back from the war and uh, at one stage he was sequestered up by the Yanks up in the Solomon Islands driving landing barges. And uh, he trained in Queensland then basically ended up with the Yanks and... Uh, my grandmother, who was just a wonderful person, used to make the best fruitcakes you've ever eaten in your life. Like really, really good, you know, soft,
1: Yeah, my grandma. my grandma fruit, wasn't that good, but I, remember, I so, remember
2: Christmas all, all year. Well, all year, and the old man used to get care packages, and oh. in the care package there'd be a couple of fruitcakes, and of course... The Yanks have never fucking heard of fruitcake. They, they still can't make it today, you know. Carrot cake's about as good as they get. So he became very, very popular. His Nan's fruitcake became very, very popular. And the old man started, at, you know, sharing it around. I don't know what he got bribed with in, uh, during yeah. the war. But after the war, they, the fruitcakes continued to go to Chicago and Dallas and New York and... Uh, Back would come cardboard boxes full of the latest 33 and a 3rd recordings. Ah. You know, all the, all the Broadway shows, My Fair Lady, Flower Drum Song, Oklahoma, um, and, you know, the Woody Hermans and the Goodwins and uh, Benny Goodman, yeah. Benny Goodman and uh, the uh, Fats Dominoes and all that music, American music came to the house and Dad had a stereo, which I wasn't allowed to touch. Naturally. But I grew up listening to all that music and he had a, you know, when he was up in Queensland um, uh, training, he learnt to play rugby, which was an unknown thing. The only place in Tasmania where they played rugby was in Hobart where all the um, stuck-up people. Yeah, yeah, the the, up ta- yeah, the up making The work, free yeah. settlers yeah. from England. Yeah. <laughs> One well, of the patch the leather patches yeah, on there. Yeah, all that shit. So he learned to play rugby up there and when he came back to Launceston, you know, there were a lot of immigrants coming in, Scots, Irish, Welsh, Italians, English. And that somehow they got together and formed the Northern Tasmanian Rugby Union Association and uh, Your dad was there? Yeah, he? dad was in it. Dad captain Northern Tasmania, played for Northern Tasmania 50, 60 times retired when he was 40 anyway. Well, hang on. What was he, a front rower, second rower? <laughs> front on. rower. Front rower. Yeah. You're a
1: mean motherfucker. I met him. He was. Jesus. On the ground. the shit um, out of me.
2: So his, one of his mates was a referee, and he had the biggest stereo system you've ever seen in your life. It filled the room. And we used to go over there Sunday every Sunday morning, and he'd be there with a couple of his mates and Dad and I. And, you know, I grew up. Listening. Listening to the best. And, and did he have did he have good music the, 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 oh, with the stereo? they all did, yeah. 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 And then, um, you know, Dad was had got a job as the fireman. He was just a junior fireman, but he also worked as an usher bouncer at the movie theatres and there were, in those days, there were five or six movie theatres. So myself and the sisters and that basically grew up going to the movies all the time. And uh, obviously, we saw every great movie made around that period of time. Probably, you know, three or four movies every week when you were growing up. Plus the music. Plus, I discovered Elvis, um, so there was a fair bit of music going on yeah. around me. I couldn't play it for shit. And was there was there a television? Was there a radio well, station? Television, television didn't come to fifty six. There was a very progressive a Tasmanian radio station called um, 70X, where Alan McClellan, who went on to run 3UZ and became something of a legend in Australian radio, and and out of 70X came Rod Muir, Barry Bishop, Don Lunn, a whole endless stream of, of for, top 40 t- style DJs. Yeah, yeah, who went on to be the biggest you so, know, in Australia. So that was all happening. The theater movies were all happening. I was... I'd started cycling when I was about 11, so I was doing that and obviously I was very much into music. So, you know, again,
1: because we more than know each other well here, that you ended up working in radio though.
2: Yeah, well, it was a long story. I was at the cycling track one night and a guy called the Amateur Cycling didn't turn up, so I did it. And uh, and, uh, this champion Tasmanian cyclist called Max Sloan who was doing the professional... Race calling sort of took me under his wing, and uh, pretty soon I was calling athletics, greyhounds, at, trotting at school, gallops. Yeah, I was well, yeah, I was still at school. Yeah, at that stage, I left school when I was 15. And were you getting paid for this stuff? Bits and pieces, yeah, yeah. yeah. My oh, man used to get the shits. When I, when I first started running the dances, I was still broadcasting. I'd go up to St Helens or Devonport to call. I was getting paid good money for that. I was making more money than he was. So you just said run the dances. So, you're... Well, what happened was the cycling club were running a Queen of the Track or something charity fundraising festival for a month. And I was the loudmouth um, riders representative on the committee. Ah, uh, the organising committee. Yeah, they uh, were on the committee of the club. They weren't very impressed with me, the old guys. But anyway, I suggested we did a dance because I was working at that time with the bass player of a band called the Dominoes and who were the biggest band in Launceston. So I got them to play in another young band. And we did a dance at the Trades Hall in Launceston. My father and all his fireman mates were the bouncers and we made 80 pound for the cycling club. Ah, oh. And, um... The career was born. Yeah, and I had to make a decision whether I wanted to be a sports commentator or a... But dance promoter. Or a dance promoter. And one night on 70X, I said, I'll be fucked, he's falling over or something. Uh, and no, hang on, hang on, hang on. No, no, no not, not you're getting, not allowed to... We're not getting into that. <laughs> yes, we are. <laughs> no, Just not. briefly, was that in Melbourne or in Launceston? In Launceston. Was it? And that was the end of my radio career, so I became... But, hang on, was it true that you had money on the dog? Oh, yeah, well, that's a
1: legend. It, but I know that. So that's the problem is there's legend with you and then there's reality. So, yeah, well, it <laughs> tends to blend and in. And you, you do tend to make sure that the legend doesn't disappear far from the, the uh, scheme of things. So, yeah. what, so you,
2: that dog race... I, I, it was I, actually a cycling race but, oh. but the dog race was another moment. Right. And, and then... And that, so then I just basically I, was, I had a lot of different jobs and uh, I started running dances, and when, managing young Tassie bands. And when did you move to Melbourne? Well, um, I was helping um, uh, some young Tasmanian people do bring over in national acts like Bobby and Laurie and The Flies and Lynn Randell and people like that. And the first show I ever saw, uh, which really got me into the live music thing, was Billy Thorpe and the Aztecs when they supported Screaming Lord Sutch at the Ovid Hall in Launceston. And that... Now, that's a story and a half then, isn't it? That blew me away. And then about a month later, Max, went to the media I was played there and that was the end of me. They were my two favourite bands for many, many, many years. and So then I decided to move to Melbourne and I took a Tasmanian band called Ida May Mac to Melbourne. I'd met a few of the Melbourne people who used to come down with the bands. Uh, I went to Melbourne, went into Ambo, saw this young red-headed guy with a big nose sitting down the back and went and said hi and we became... Friends and that—that uh, that would have been Mr. Ganinsky. right? So I was helping him. I was running, helping him run dances. I was managing my little Tasmanian band and being the roadie and the sound engineer and all those things and doing three shows and you know you'd play the thumb and tum at seven o'clock and the Dandenong town all at nine thirty and the, Did you make money? Oh, you know, enough. We all, we to all pay, lived. Pay the rent, we all yeah. survived. Yeah. So it t- didn't. Money didn't. Was never the. Thing. It yeah, but
1: but what I want to make sure we get to is that between AMBO, which stood
2: for the Australian Music Booking something or other. Yeah, right? it was a, a conglomerate of old music rock and, you know, the 50s, early 60s people who'd been successful who all came together. And, you know, started this agency. And they were managers and agents and that's right. Yeah.
1: But but it was also there and then, I mean, we'll just move forward a bit because then
2: somehow it became... Gudinski was working for Bill Joseph who was the biggest dance Dance promoter promoter, in Melbourne at the time. Gudinski and Michael Browning was managing Doug Parkinson and had just taken on Billy Thorpe and Gudinski was nurturing the chain, healing force, James Taylor move... And there were other bands. So this, the, this was all the breeding ground, wasn't it? Because yeah. Sydney was nowhere near as, as happening. Most of the bands from Sydney that came to Melbourne were actually New Zealand bands. Right. There were a few Sydney bands like Freshwater and yeah, that's Tully right. and Tamarum Shud, but you, then you had the Lady Dars and Max Merritt and all these others, and they were basically all New Zealanders. But anyway, Guninski and Browning started an agency called Consolidated Rock, And I got a job there. Basically, these days you'd be called marketing executive, but in those days I was the poster boy,
0: (laughs) (laughs) the promotions guy. (sighs) Michael Chug. In a moment, Michael looks back at his move to Sydney. Sydney's music scene at the time was well behind that of Melbourne. His move north kicked off with a Billy Thorpe gig that didn't exactly go to plan. Then at some
2: point in the middle of this, you then came to Sydney uh, yeah, well, you know, um, they were, Ganesh and Browning were running these very successful shows at the Melbourne Town Hall every six, eight weeks on a Sunday with Daddy Cool and Spectrum and Tully and Tamman Mshad and Billy and the la Dars and, you know, all the big bands at the time. And, uh, I, my first involvement with them was I was the stage manager at the Melbourne Town Hall one night when Thorpey decided he was going to get this stupid big kinetic blow-up thing and Pig Morgan played the organ organ. it was a great show but it was... Anyway, Michael Browning decided we'd take the show to Sydney. So we came up to Sydney and uh, there was an old friend of yours, Philip Walker. Oh, yes. And he was involved briefly and the idea was we were going to run this concert at Sydney Town Hall and we were going to open an agency up here because Sydney had been destroyed by a couple of agencies, Nova, Peter, Peter and John yeah, Sinclair. Yeah. Sydney had been a great, great market but we, by the time we got here, it was dead. There were hardly any gigs. There were no young promoters. The, you know, the universities weren't doing it. It wasn't like Melbourne. I mean, you could go to Melbourne with the Sydney band and you'd do three shows on a Saturday, two on a Sunday and then you'd do universities every lunchtime and different things. So you'd go to Melbourne, do ten shows in seven days. You'd come up here and you'd struggle to do four. But the, the key down there, I mean, I, I, I'm a I'm a
1: I'm a tourist to all this. Was the quality of the people that were working the system down there? Because right? Sydney never had the. I mean, Roger Davies was a part of Con, Consolidated Rockets, no, so was wasn't. wasn't he? No. Oh, so Phil Jacobson was.
2: No, he wasn't. We'll get to that. All right. Cool. So, uh, Janitsky and Browning. So, Browning and I came to Ladies Sydney. Ladies and
1: gentlemen, you notice how much in charge of this interview I am.
2: Well, you fucking don't know what you're talking <laughs> about. <laughs> you're jumping a couple of years ahead of oh, us. All right, all right, all right. right. Anyway, we came to Sydney and we had Billy Thorpe, the Lardy Dars, Lobby Lloyd and the Color Balls, Jess and John, Freshwater, oh. Jerry Humphreys from the Loved Ones was the compere. On the same bill? Yeah. All right. The Sydney Town Hall on a Sunday night. Um, they bought that stupid big blow up thing up. And Lobby and in those days there were no sound and lighting companies. That night I met Eric Robinson, our great late friend, mm. for the first time when he turned up with his light show, which was globes with coloured gel yeah, in large fire, sunshine fire flashes milk, flashes. In That's large right. sunshine milk cans. <laughs> so Thorpe and Lobby Lloyd spent all day putting everybody's sound system together. You know, you'd turn up like the lady does had a WEM system from England which they'd brought back with them and it had four columns and a small amplifier and that was, you know, so they, everybody, so Lobby and walked, worked all day setting up the PA. We finally got it working. We were under huge extreme pressure because the the head guy running the Sydney Town Hall, you know, they were all uniformed up and everything and he was angry and... Really horrible because rock and roll had somehow got into the... Sydney Town Hall. The Sydney Town Hall. So he'd been giving us flack all day and, of course, so we had sold out. Shows in walks Johnny O'Keefe in his white suit and proceeds to sit right above the stage in the balcony, which pissed Thorpey off to no end. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we start the show. Lobby Lloyd goes on first and he plays 10 minutes too long. I'm in front of the stage going, please, we like, fucking come off? Please, come off now. If we finally get him off stage, he goes over and fucks with the PA for some reason and it never worked properly again. For
1: the rest of the night. Yeah.
2: So by the time Billy Thorpe's ready to go on, it's 10 minutes to 11. Oh. We've got the Nazi saying at 11 o'clock he's turning the power off oh. and the light's on. So Thorpe goes on this. Big kinetic blow-up thing. Go. Proceeds to knock all the equipment off the stage. Oh. Thorpey does two songs. He's so angry. I thought there was going to be a massive riot, but we got away with it. Anyway, O'Keefe was... <laughs> uh, wasn't nice. Anyway, the next week, Go Set. Now, we, you know what Go Set was. Yeah. Unlike the music magazines of today, Go Set was the Bible.
1: Yeah, and And it had an
2: opinion on everything. Yeah, and they used to sell in those days, we're talking 69, 70, 71, they used to sell 50, 100,000 copies every week. It was the Bible. And um, anyway, Wednesday's Go Set comes out after the town hall show and the headline on the front page is Rock Con at Sydney Town Hall, which Molly had written. Oh. Which he denies to this day, but he did. Anyway, Browning gets the shits. Yes. And decides this agency, which is really doing well, The Chainer on Radio, Top 40, Thorpey's just released, most people I know, Healing Force have had a monstrous number one. Golden years. Golden years. Michael Rudd's had a big hit, Daddy Cooler, The Kings of the Land. Everything's working really well. Browning decides to start a newspaper called The Daily Planet. Oh, and um, against Ghost Set and, of course, it turned into an unmitigated disaster. You had know, old hippies like Lee Dillow and oh. roadies like the chain's legendary roadie driver, and they were the editors and it was just a piece of work. Anyway, I'm in Sydney with my new wife. We're living in Paddington. We're not making a lot of money. Um but You're running Consolidated Rock, and yeah. Sydney. And I had the Lady and Jeffson John and Piranha and Tamar yeah, yeah. But there wasn't a lot of gigs around. They had a Browning had set some, sent some reporter up here to run the paper in Sydney, and he was sponging off us. And anyway, in the end, Consolidated Rock went bankrupt. Were you an owner? No, no, I was just employed running the Sydney office. Yeah, went bankrupt. Gadinsky <laughs> joined Ravens, the Australian Entertainment Exchange. Uh, Browning continued to manage Billy Thorpe and uh, uh, yeah, and they went overseas. And that was the more asked than class time or a little later Yeah, on? yeah, all around that. Right. And uh, I was managing the Lardy Dars, and there was uh, a band called Company Kane. Yeah. And their roadie was Roger Davis. So they had a really good album that was highly regarded, and Roger was their roadie, and then Roger and I started Sunrise. which was the agency we ran together. And that was in Sydney. Out of the ashes. Yeah.
1: Paddington, because that was quite famous,
2: wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And then we then uh, let it be was the agency in Melbourne that was looking after Daddy Cool, Spectrum, Captain Matchbox, running the Much More Ballroom, which was a legendary. Yeah, it certainly was. Alternate gig in Melbourne, in Fitzroy. And we met the accountant from Let It Be called Philip Jacobson and we ended up buying Let It Be and we started Sunrise Let It Be and we had Melbourne office and Sydney office, again Skidinski and Evans at the Australian Entertainment Exchange. Right. So that's where
0: all that fitted in. This is Peter Rix's conversation with the founder and executive chairman of music and touring company Chug Entertainment, the legendary Michael Chug. In part two, Michael and Peter look at the next steps of Michael's career, the Sunbury Music Festival in the early 70s and his first work in touring overseas acts such as the police. That's next time on From the Inside. From the Inside with Peter Ricks. Listener.